Hey, Adam Smolcom here, lead pastor of Vive Church. Welcome to our podcast. I pray that God will speak to you through the message today and that a greater level of faith would be unlocked in your life. God bless. We're going to read a Resurrection Sunday section of Scripture just so that we can identify exactly where we are at. And I am so thrilled that you came into the house of God, whether you've made it in the room or you're in the overflow right now. We are so thankful that this summer we are moving into our brand new building. Come July, we're we're moving. 10 years we've been doing Easter here and it's the last one. Next one is in our new building, amen. Luke chapter 24. Let me set some context to today. It says, But very early Sunday morning when the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, they found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. The men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what He told you back in Galilee that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that He would rise again on the third day? Then they remembered what He had said. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell His 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. Verse 11, but the story sounded like Nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. However, verse 12, Peter, Peter jumped up. He ran to the tomb to look stooping. He peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. For this Easter Sunday instalment, as we continue in our series, by all means, I wanna preach a specific and pointed word around the topic. So what does this mean? What does this mean? What what does all of this mean? What does this Easter thing mean? What does Jesus and the claims of Jesus mean for us? And I do believe God has some revelation for you today. I, I do believe that God has some opportunities for you today. And I'm so excited that you found your way into the house of God. So why don't you just let everybody else know that you're glad to be here too. Why don't you take five seconds, find five people and give them a high five or something other loving that you prefer to do just to thank them for sitting next to you today. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Welcome somebody. Thank you. So what does this mean? Go ahead and find your seat. Got to be honest with you, I feel a little late to the party, but I've been really getting into the Enneagram thing lately. Anybody know what I'm talking about when I say Enneagram? I don't know if, if, if anybody else is new to this, or this is just like old school stuff, but I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated. I've been learning about the Enneagram numbers and I know the whole purpose of the Enneagram thing, the personality identifier and locator is to locate yourself. But I've been loving the fact that I can locate everyone else. That's what I've been loving. You know, I'm just understanding people. Before I just thought people were weird. Now I know, oh, that's because they're this Enneagram. Anybody else know what I'm talking about here? Whereas like liberating. I'm talking to the married couples. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Like before you were just frustrated. Now you understand they can't if they wanted to. It's not their number. 
It's not their number. It's not their number. I've been loving it particularly because I've been learning more about my wife. 20 years married, I'm learning. Based on the fact of her Enneagram articulation, she is a number six. You don't need to know what that is, except that number six can read the future. This is what they can do. Number sixes can read the future. They read the future in the ways where they're literally collecting data everywhere. Like they're reading every body language. They're, they're consuming conversations. They're grabbing a piece from this conversation, from that conversation. They're reading someone's body language or even lack of to protect and, and to tell you what's going to happen. It's crazy. My, my wife can do it. My wife can do it. In fact, my wife can just mention somebody and sure enough, we see that person and I'm like, this is next level. This is like crazy. Especially when, this, this is on display the most when we're watching a movie. Like when it's like a mystery film or like just kind of like a, a suspense drama. Kira loves right from the beginning to predict who's the murderer, who's getting murdered or who's going to end up together. She can do it too. It's crazy. Like right from the beginning, she'll pick it and I'll be like, nah, that's not it. That's not it. And, and then I'll go through the whole movie trying to connect the dots. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And like the little Shyamalan twist at the end. I'm just like, yo, didn't see that coming. And she looks at me and goes, really? Like for reals. I'm like, what do you mean you did not see that coming? She literally said, I saw it from the beginning. And she's good at it too. I'm here just trying to connect the dots. I'm here just, because I know that if I could connect the dots, I would have the conclusions, but I can't even seem to see the dots. I wonder if this is the same when it comes to Easter. Like the whole meaning of this thing. I don't know how you came to be here today. I don't know if you were invited. This is your first time in church, the first time in a long time in church, or first time in recently in church. I don't know how you came to be here, but this whole thing called Easter has some kind of emphasis, but am I making the connections? Do I know it's just a good Sunday to be in church, or do I know, do I know why it's a good Sunday to be in church? That's kind of my mission, my assignment today, is to help you connect the dots for you. To help you to see the dots firstly, because I know that if you make the connection, you'll draw a conclusion. In fact, to start, one of the most amazing benefits, I think, of preaching on a Resurrection Sunday is it is so easy to locate ourselves and orient ourselves in Scripture. I mean, this passage literally starts out with early Sunday morning, like right now. This is what, the 10.30 a.m. service? You are close. You almost partnered with Jesus in the moment, but better late to the party than not to the party at all. Amen. So, 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 but we, we literally find ourselves today in Scripture, like on Easter Sunday, resurrection morning, we can now locate ourselves and orient ourselves in the perspective of time to where the disciples are wondering what the women are talking about. They came back with a report. They went to the tomb expecting to find a body that was laid there on Friday. Saturday was the Sabbath. They weren't allowed to do anything. So they're going to come back and finish the process of embalming and, and the spices they had prepared to find that the stone had already been rolled away and that the body wasn't there. It was empty. And it's interesting that we can locate ourselves in Scripture, but, but I'm, I'm wondering if we could also maybe identify with the disciples. Not just put ourselves in the place, but put ourselves in the mind frame of what the, the disciples are possibly thinking in not believing this story from the women. Now, I can understand, and I don't know if you're picking it up from the text, but they seem a little uncertain about the report from the women. 
And for good reason too. I mean, given the events of Friday and the collapse of everything that they had been building towards for the last three years, they have to be wondering, what does this mean? Now, what does this mean? Not just the fact that he was put in the tomb, but what does it mean that the tomb is empty? What does this mean? And while I have, I guess, a lot of empathy for the disciples in their uncertainty, I can connect with that. I have to say I am a little confused by their confusion. I have to put that out there because it's not as if they weren't at least prepared or at least pre-warned. Maybe they weren't prepared. prepared. I'm gonna, you're going to find throughout this sermon, I'm going to side with the disciples. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt more often than they probably deserve. I'm going to side with them because I feel like a disciple. I feel dysfunctional at the best of times. But, but it can't be a claim that I could make legitimately that they weren't pre-warned. They weren't pre- pre-warned. In fact, what we will see if we go back in Scripture during the three years that they were with Jesus before this moment, you'll actually find several different instances where Jesus articulates and explains exactly what was about to go down. Like leaves no guesswork. He gives a deep description with the disciples personally what they can expect in the moments that just preceded this morning. In fact, the first one we find is in Matthew chapter 16. In my opinion, probably one of the most critical or, or, or probably most powerful conversations in history. Like out of all the conversations that have ever happened in history, in Matthew 16, I believe we have the most pivotal. You find Jesus and the disciples, they're in a region called Caesarea Philippi. It's a little bit north of the Sea of Galilee. And I don't know why they were there. The Bible doesn't tell, but we do know a lot of miracles happened there. And that's probably what directed the way Jesus moved and where he went was the miracles and the need because he is the need meter and he meets every need that Jesus finds. And so what we find is they're up in this region. And in between miracle moments, we have a moment where Jesus is just talking to the disciples and he poses a question. He says, So who do people say that I am? Powerful question. To which the disciples respond with some of the rumours and the rhetoric that was floating around at that day. You see, there were rumours that Jesus could have been Elijah. Elijah, the Old Testament prophet who who, who went up into heaven and and the Bible predicted that he would come back. And and so so people, maybe, maybe this is him. But that was John the Baptist. Jesus made that really clear. So some said, oh, maybe you're a prophet. That's what some people are saying. And it's interesting out of the, the descriptions that they actually articulate the, the general public that Jesus is someone. He's not a no one. Like it's obviously someone. But Jesus then dials in the question and he says, yeah, but, but who do you say I am? And I love this because in that moment, Peter gives the most amazing response. It was Peter, the very first person on earth, the very first human to acknowledge Jesus, I believe you're the Messiah. Upon this, it was like a reaction, not just within Jesus, but within heaven, earth, all of creation reacted in that moment and things shifted. Jesus says, well done, Peter. Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. He begins to outwork this idea of the kingdom. And then he says this to the disciples in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 16. He says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. That's pretty plain. Like That's pretty straight to the point. It wasn't poetic. It wasn't an allegory. It wasn't even humor spiced in there. He just pretty much just 
was blunt. And it wasn't just that time. Again, we see even a chapter later in chapter 17 of Matthew, this time while they were down in Galilee, one of their favourite spots to, to hang out. Not only do we find Jesus explicitly preparing them yet again for what was going to happen, but we also understand this time the disciples got it because of their response. Check it out. In verse 22 of Matthew 17, it says, After they gathered again in Galilee, Jesus told them the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of His enemies. He will be killed, but on the third day He will be raised from the dead. And the disciples were filled with grief. That means they understood. That means they had a visceral reaction. Like, what, what do you mean you are going to be killed? They understood it. They felt it on a deep level. So why is it that they're not making the connection this morning? That's not the only time. In fact, we even see a little bit later in Luke chapter 18, we find that Jesus yet again, as if the first two times weren't enough or explicit enough, yet again we find Jesus revealing plainly what is going to happen in verse 31. It says, taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus said, listen. <laughs> he knew how to talk to the disciples. Listen. We're going to go up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans. He will be mocked, treated shamefully and spit upon. Like this is details now. They, they will flog Him, whip Him and kill Him. But on the third day, He will rise again. Check this out, verse 34. But they didn't understand any of this. The significance of his words were hidden from them and they failed to grasp what he was talking about. Like, like Jesus is being pretty plain. Jesus was, in other words, leaving dots. Leaving these dots for them to connect. And yet they weren't making the connection. I can understand too, because sometimes it was probably difficult to comprehend all the things that Jesus was talking about. You know, in the midst of the parables that, that were like a story that meant something different and, and not just the parables, but beyond the parables, you had the miracles and beyond the miracles, you had all the different moments where Jesus just kind of was doing Jesus stuff. And it could be difficult for the disciples to comprehend. However, I still feel that Jesus was leaving dots. And if it was just what Jesus said, we could give them an excuse or a pass. But beyond what Jesus said, there was a whole Old Testament of dots. Oh, stay with me. This is going to help. This is going to help you know what this all means because all the way through the Old Testament, there are these dots, just dots, just moments that reveal the reality of Jesus and everything that they should have understood when the women came to the tomb reporting that the tomb was empty. In fact, these dots throughout the Old Testament, from Old Testament prophecy to the very sacrificial system of the Old Covenant point to this very moment in time. Now, now what we understand and what we probably struggle to understand is because we don't live within the sacrificial system is that it was very understandable to those in that day. This sacrificial system in the Old Testament, disciples probably comprehended it very well. In fact, to understand it, we're gonna go all the way back for a second. Hang with me, lean in. This is gonna be helpful. Some, some Bible history for you. All the way back with Abraham, the forefather of our faith. We know that Abraham went to sacrifice his son on the altar. And yet just before he sacrificed his son, God provided a ram 
And that whole scene was a foreshadowing of what Christ would be, the substitute lamb, the lamb that was slain instead of us going on the altar. Not only that, because God had carved out from all the people in the land, His very own people, He instituted a system of sacrifice that would atone for the people's sins when the people of God weren't acting like the people of God. So the people of God had a habit of not acting like God's people, getting squirrely, getting a little little weird in the way they interacted, got a little sinful. So God created this, this system of sacrifice that would bring them back into right standing with Him. It was a system where you would take a little lamb, less than a year old, and you would sacrifice it. And sacrificing it, its blood would atone for the sins of the people for that day. In fact, it was only a limited atonement. Therefore, you needed two lambs per day. That's a lot of lambs. Like every day, two lambs. You had a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice. The morning sacrifice atoned for the sins of the night and the evening sacrifice atoned for the sins of the day. And they needed that because it was, it was just a little lamb. Only had a limited atonement. And it could only be a little lamb because it needed to be a spotless lamb. So this is the whole system of sacrifice that was prevalent to the disciples. So the moment that John the Baptist, when he begins to say in, in John chapter 1, verse 29, when he kind of just blurts out, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To us, we think that's cute because we don't know the sacrificial system. Oh, a lamb. It's lovely. This is, it's like what we kind of connect when we're reading Scripture. Oh, Jesus is a lamb of God. You got a cute little lamb, little lammy, pit-a-pat, little, and it's cute. How many people got like young kids? You probably got a lamb in their room. That's morbid, I'm telling you, because we don't understand like they understood. There was a language breakdown. I know this. I'm Australian and now I'm an American citizen. But I'm still trying to, I'm still trying to understand our language, our language. Honestly, not just your language, our language now. I'm still trying to learn American. I've been here for a decade. I'm still learning. Like I'm still trying to get my head around the term lucked out. Like that's a good thing. In Australia, that's a bad thing. If you strike out, that's a bad thing. If you luck out, that's a bad thing. But for some reason here, lucking out is a good thing. I learned this because one of my buddies started dating this girl. And, and she, to me, she was really pretty. And then my other friend was like, man, you lucked out. I'm like, bro, you are savage. <laughs> she says, he's right here. Like, man, they, they were confused. I'm confused. Should be luck up or something, like, you know, <laughs> luck out. Let's fix this. However, this is kind of what it's like in Scripture. Like we see it go, lamb, oh, that's cute. No, 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 they were thinking murder, sacrifice, kill, blood, the whole thing. That's what they were thinking. So when the moment he says there goes the Lamb of God to take on the sin of the world, they're like, oh, well, not just the sin for the day, the sin of the world. Yet they still didn't get it. Another major dot, but they still didn't make the connection. And maybe the reason they didn't make the connection is because there was another part to the sacrifice that made it understandable. It wasn't just the lamb. There's two parts of this. There's the lamb and the altar. Now, now the altar is extremely significant because if you kill a lamb without an altar, it's just killing a lamb. But with an altar, it's a sacrifice. 
And the altar was very, very specific. Even in Scripture, we see back in Exodus that we get a very clear description around what makes or constitutes an altar. An altar is built, Exodus chapter 20, verse 24, build for me an altar made of earth and offer your sacrifices to me, your burnt offerings and peace offerings, the sheep and goats and your cattle. Build my altar wherever I cause my name to be remembered and I will come to you and bless you. Verse 25, if you use stones to build my altar, use only natural uncut stones. Do not shape the stones with a tool for that would make the altar unfit for holy use. So, so, so what we've got, and I'm excusing the disciples again, is that maybe they didn't make the connection with the Lamb of God because they didn't see the altar. However, on this morning, we know that the women went to the stone tomb and as they approached the stone tomb, the, the stone, it's a lot of stone, was rolled away. This indicates ultimately reveals that Jesus wasn't just sacrificed or just murdered. He was, he was laid in a tomb that become an altar. Dots, dots. There's these dots. There's all these dots that are happening throughout history. There's these dots that they're receiving, walking from Jesus, and yet the disciples still don't connect the dots. See, the dots should have been connected. Like, like what they should have connected is it worked. Like think about it for a second. Like when the women came back from the, the tomb and they said, he ain't there, they should have been like, oh, it worked. High fives, you know what I mean? Like, but they're like, oh, that's nonsense. No, 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 I'm not just, I'm just trying to help you get in the picture for a moment before I can really preach this thing home because the truth is that the dots were evident. The dots were clearly there. The dots were, there's, there's the lamb. Okay, we've got the lamb. We've got the sacrificial lamb. We've got the, we've got the tomb, the tomb, the altar. You need the altar. You need the lamb. They've got the sacrifice. The whole thing's working. Beyond that, you've actually got every report. You've got the Old Testament prophecy. Hey, what's up, Squint? We've got all these things happening throughout time, throughout Scripture that are only empty emphasizing more and more exactly what they should have connected, what they were hoping for, what they were building for. They were building for this moment. They were leaning into this moment. So when the moment come, you would expect that what they do is party, celebrate, let's go find Him. But that ain't the response. The response is like, nah, can't be it. Can't be it. And I believe the women are wondering what do you mean? Like, I believe the women were Enneagram sixes. They're like, hang on, here's all, the, here's all the dots. How is it that you're not making the connection? How are you not making the connection between the fact that, that there's this happened, this happened, He told us, and you still don't believe. You still don't believe because when you realise all these things happen, there's only one response. The question is clear. What does this mean? Can I give you the answer? It depends. Yeah, it actually depends. It depends. You see, let me show you like this, because in Acts chapter 9, you might know the story. There's, there's an apostle named, named Saul, Paul, but he was previously named Saul. Before he was an apostle, he was a Pharisee. He too didn't believe. 
In fact, he believed that it was all nonsense. Every little story about Jesus resurrecting and coming up out of the grave, he considered it to be nonsense. He said, no, don't believe it. In fact, he hated that message so much. He was so frustrated with the people who would propagate this message that he decided that we can't have this message any longer. What we need to do is we need to eradicate every single person who decides that they're gonna share this story. He made it his personal mission to make sure he puts to death every person who would tell this story. That was up until he had an encounter with Jesus. (laughs) That definitely puts a spanner in the works, so to speak. Is that an American term? Yep. And so... In that moment, he realizes, comes into the revelation and realizes, well, this actually changes everything. And so what we see is he writes this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, now, this is a different tune. He says, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work. Check this out. Saving everyone who believes. The Jew first and also the Gentile. Verse 70, the good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the Scripture says, it's through faith that a righteous person has life. Did you catch that? I'm I'm going so fast, but I need you to get it. Yeah, can you put it back up? I feel like I need to help you see something. And I love that I got a choir stage because I can get right up on this big screen. Because I don't want you to miss Scripture just from, from, from a quick glance. What Paul says here is the key to help you understand what this all means. He's connecting the dots for you. There are dots. There are dots all through Scripture. There's the tomb, there's the the lamb, there's the sacrifice, there's the prophecies, the whole system, Moses, Abraham, everything, angels, disciples, women at the tomb, the report, the prophecy, what Jesus said Himself. Now, Paul, who didn't believe, all of a sudden has an encounter. He connects the dots and writes, I ain't ashamed. I was ashamed. But I'm now not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It's the, it's the power of God at work saving everyone. I'd love it if it finished there. That would be so good if it finished there. That would be so easy if it finished there. Like if it just is saving everyone, that's cool. We don't have to do anything. No requirement on our part. Jesus' work just does it. Like it's just, just there. Like it doesn't matter, you know, you know that, that, that whole narrative? Oh, it doesn't matter how you acknowledge God, just, it's just all gods are God. That's not what this is saying. It's not what Paul preached. It's not what the disciples preached. There is one God. His name is Jesus. He is alive. He rose from the grave. So, so it doesn't stop there just saving everyone. It goes on to say, who believes? Can you see it? Can you see it around the corner? You can't, you have to use your own Bible. Okay. <laughs> Saving everyone, trust me, it's the same in every translation. I've checked it. Saving everyone who believes. Who believes? Oh, stay with me, stay with me for a second. Who, who believes? Who believes? Oh, you've got all these things. You've got all these things. You've got all these little things that are happening. You've got the tomb thing. You've got the the, 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 the report thing, you've got the, the prophecy thing, you've got all these little things and, and maybe you don't, you don't believe all the things, but you've got to believe some of the things. Look, it's history. There is recordings, there's reports, there's eyewitness accounts, there's some things. So can we agree that it's not nothing? Can we do that? I'm trying my very best to make this interactive. If you just want to sit there and just be like, no, I don't know. No, I'm trying to convince you. I'm just trying to find common ground. 
And the common ground is it's something, right? Like it's, it ain't nothing. Like it's an old Bible, it's an old text, there's a lot of different writings, but there's a lot of connections and many different people writing this thing from many different perspectives and accounts and at least they're saying something. So it's a good ground to work from when we're trying to work out what this means, we know it doesn't mean nothing. It means something. However, what Paul wants us to know is that what this means depends on what you believe. Because if it means something, then it can only mean everything. Oh, help, help me preach. It can't just mean something. Because if it means nothing, at least nothing changes. You're better to believe it means absolutely nothing. Believe it's nonsense. Believe this is just rubbish. This is just somebody's uh, misappropriated uh, account. It's just a hypothetical. It's just a, a maybe, maybe it's just a, a myth. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what it means. Because if you believe that, at least there's nothing has to change. But if you at least believe it's something, then even something changes everything. Even something changes everything, which means that this whole story about Christ, His crucifixion, His burial, His resurrection means that there is the potential for everything to change. If I believe. If I believe. We're talking about this new covenant. We're talking about these new prophecies. We're talking about all these things ain't no thing. There's something, therefore they must be Everything. It's not just something. It's everything. It depends on what I believe today. I wanted to, I wanted to make sure I came right into what we say here in America, your living room today. And I wanted to make sure I presented you with the challenge because if this means something, there's something that you get to do. See, it's not about what Jesus can do. He already did it. The Bible revealed He already did it. He went into the grave. He won the keys of sin over us and death. And He released us from that, releasing our chains so that He walked up out of the grave. And He's offering freedom for us. Grace has power. The Gospel has power for those who believe. So now He puts it over into your hands. And there's two decisions that you get to make. One of two choices. One of two choices. One is, it's nothing, so I do nothing. And that's your decision. You can just walk on up, out, get some cotton candy on the way out, and nothing changes. You're a product of your own decisions. Your future is determined by you. And the results of it, you pay. On the other side, if it's something, then it changes everything. And based on your belief, it empowers you to have everything change today. That from this moment forward, that you aren't a product of your decisions, you're a product of His grace. That He covers even your worst mistakes and gives you a brand new future. That the end of your life isn't the end of your life, it's the beginning of your eternity. That you actually get to walk with Jesus, know the plan, the purpose and the power of heaven that He has for you. If it's something, then it has to change everything, but it's based on what you believe. This is what He presented to the Pharisees. To the Pharisees, the Pharisees, the Pharisees who... Who even some of the Pharisees, you know when you read about the Pharisees in the Bible and... You hear that some of them were really bad, but some of them were kind of leaning in 
to Jesus. One of them even said, after Jesus saying it's based on your belief, He says, I want to believe, but help me with my unbelief. <laughs> I kind of like that. Because I'm slow at connecting the dots. I see them, but I just have a hard time connecting them. By nature, I find like sometimes I'm skeptical. So God, I know I, I can see it there, but I, there's something blocking and I need you to help me with my unbelief because I want it to be power in my life. I want to experience your grace. I want to experience your purpose. I want to experience your power. I want to know what, 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 what you have. I want it to change everything. I know it's something, but I need it to change everything. God, help me with my unbelief. Hey, I hope you were blessed by that message. We release new content every single week here at Vive Church. And so if you don't wanna miss any of it, I would encourage you, go ahead and subscribe. Also visit our website, vivechurch.org to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the life of Vive Church. God bless you.